Discord. Ooh, and Twitter. Well, hi there, y'all. We have a really packed show for you today, uh, but I'm grocery shopping, so I'm just going to wing it. But you stick right there, and we will see you on the timeline. Twitter. I'm Alex Berg. He's Zach Stafford, and you are watching AM to DM, and I I am deceased. Ooh, a gourd. Ooh, a gourd. <laughs> I was really in a grocery store, y'all. I went to the Trader Joe's down the street, and I got a phone call from my boss saying, don't you have to host a show today? So I brought my gourd with me. And you didn't have time to prepare questions I have no beforehand. Questions. No, so, I'm, I'm you know. living in honor of a woman who is taking over Twitter over the past 12 to 24 <laughs> hours for doing the same. So let's just jump right on into it. Here's a tweet from our colleague, <laughs> Sylvia Obell. Privileges being able to show up to an interview with one of the world's biggest stars with no questions written, admit it to said star, write it in the story, and the editor letting the line go to print because no one is concerned it will make anyone question your ability to do your job. Here's a tweet from Nicole Silverberg. That Vogue writer who didn't come up with questions for Rihanna happened to spend an excessive amount of ad hoc scholarship for her Taylor Swift story. Imagine! But here's a treat from the writer Abby Aguirre explaining herself. Guys, I was driving to Trader Joe's in sweatpants when I got the call and literally had to flip a bitch. I researched my subjects to death, especially Rihanna. I appreciate the anger behind the reaction, but this is a misunderstanding for which I take full responsibility. Ooh, flipping a bitch. I've never heard that term, and I lived in the Los Angeles. <laughs> Let's unpack this, Let's shall unpack we? This. Yes, please, please. So, you know, one, you are honored, privileged, blessed, et cetera, to even be considered to write a profile. Rihanna, you and I, we prepare a lot. We've been in the shop for a bit. If you get assigned a Rihanna profile, I don't care if she moves it up two weeks. I'm prepared. I have been thinking. I have been dreaming. My anxiety is so high that I have been re-prescribed some medication. I don't know. So I don't understand how one day threw you off this much, girl, that you tell Rihanna, the wealthiest woman in the music industry right now, the most powerful, that you are not prepared. Well, one of the <clears> things that you're getting at is that a lot of times, and one of the reasons why I think we try to prepare so much is because you want to put in the work to honor the amount of work that someone else has done. Because yes. you want to respect that they're coming in to maybe promote their project mm -hmm. or something they've worked really long and hard on. So there's kind of this piece that's like, you want to show that you've done your due diligence. But I think that, like, really the egregious thing about this was that she did not realize the position of privilege that she yes. was in to even understand that this was such a, a brazen thing to say. Yeah. Like, who, what kind of person is in a position where they can essentially brag or make mm -hmm. light of the fact that they were unprepared to do their job? Exactly. What kind of person gets to do that? Exactly. So. And I think here, as an editor, you know, I edit a lot of stories, and I've written a lot of features. And what could have been really fascinating for me is if the story opened up with um, this writer at the Trader Joe's or driving there, and Rihanna calling and being like, you need to bring your ass here right now, and then her having to show up, and it kind of demonstrating that Rihanna is really on top of the world, and the world moves for her. And and you don't move for, uh, for uh, well, you have to move for Rihanna. Rihanna doesn't move for anyone else. <laughs> and that would have been a better thing to do, but we didn't do that. Instead, we hear a writer be very, like, pompous. Yeah. Like, I didn't prepare for this. Well, Rihanna, call me. We will be prepared for you. <laughs> yeah, and look, like, maybe this is, like, a great learning moment for, like, us white people mm -hmm. who are in media to look at this example and then, uh, you know, course correct for ourselves. Yes, so. but it's also yeah. a great moment to hear from you all. So let's take it to the timeline. What is your best wing it moment, like Abigail? Tweet us using the hashtag AM to DM. I, I don't know if I have one that even like yeah, measures yeah, to yeah. a Rihanna one. So let's just move on from there. <laughs> Here's a tweet from BuzzFeed News senior reporter Ryan Broderick. 
I've been working on untangling exactly how President Trump became convinced Ukrainian nationals colluded with the Democrats in 2016. I've written three stories on the evolution of the conspiracy theory. Now, Ryan wrote a lengthy thread about this web, but we figured it would be easier just to talk to him about his story, about how Rudy Giuliani actually sent Trump on a wild goose chase of internet nonsense. So Ryan joins us now. Good morning. Good morning. Okay, where to even start with this one? Um, why should we look into the mind of Giuliani to understand the depths of Trump's obsession with Ukraine? Yeah, it's really unfortunate that we have to like, <laughs> put our, uh, you know, ourselves in Rudy Giuliani's shoes. Uh, the shortest version of this is that over the last six to nine months, Rudy Giuliani, thanks to a bunch of really wacky stuff he's been reading on the internet, um, has really quickly convinced President Trump that uh, Ukrainian nationals basically teamed up with the Democrats to delegitimize his presidential win in 2016. And at every moment where this conspiracy theory probably should have, like, you know, shaken loose, uh, it was reinforced by conservative media and uh, Fox News, of course. Mm, 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 mm. Well, remind us of what was Spygate and how is it serving as a petri dish uh, as you write to various conspiracies? So, internet conspiracy theories, they evolve, they mutate, they branch off. Um, when they hit critical mass, sometimes they get a name and then uh, they go viral from there. Spygate was one of these. It refers to the idea that, and to untangle this, and I should say that this is all pretty bullshit, so uh, before we go into this. Uh, it's this idea that the Democrats and the Obama administration and the FBI were all spying on the Trump campaign and trying to frame them for Russian collusion. And then to do that, actually colluded themselves with Ukrainians. So uh, the DNC leak, uh, the, the hack in 2016, this, uh, the Spygate theory is that it was all a setup to frame President Trump. Okay, so you uh, give us a nice list uh, of, in the story of some of the people who are involved, some of the uh, websites that helped amplify this conspiracy theory. Talk us through some of those and, and just some of the implications, I think, of uh, how they push this information, disinformation. Yeah, the, the whole system is based on... Imagine 4chan and Reddit were the largest, most racist writer's room in the, in the world, right? And they're throwing ideas at the wall constantly. And when one of these ideas becomes really exciting for that community, it starts to go viral and it starts to get aggregated and picked up by blogs. And those blogs get aggregated by bigger news sites. So you have places like Breitbart, Zero Hedge, you have conservative commentators like Dan Bongino, uh, and then you have Russian media, they love this because they can point to a website said this and they can regurgitate it and they can spin it back up. And over the last three years, as Fox News has become closer in line with President Trump's own filter bubble, I think they've realized that the social media swamp is a great place to go dig in for exciting narratives. So every time they can get their hands on something that doesn't seem completely insane, they will amplify it. Hmm. So walk us through how, you know, through that amplification, it makes it to Trump, but then impacts the, the uh, Zelensky talks. Right. I wanted to stay really close to what we know. And what's really exciting about the memo of the non-verbatim transcript of this Ukrainian phone call with the Ukrainian president and President Trump is that most of our knowledge of what President Trump thinks is based on what he does publicly. And as we know, he doesn't exactly, you know... He's not very consistent, uh, and he loves an audience. So this is a really exciting way to actually see how he feels in private, relatively. So in this phone call, uh, according to this memo, he asks the Ukrainian president to look up uh, 
Ukrainian nationals that might have worked with a cybersecurity firm called CrowdStrike, this is the security firm that worked with the Democrats in 2016, President Trump asks the Ukrainian president to look into the matter and look for a server, which seems to imply that Donald Trump thinks there's a physical server that's gone missing. And just to keep in mind here, we're talking about 140 cloud servers that aren't physical that were turned off uh, three years ago. So things have gotten really wacky in President Trump's brain. Wow. Things have gotten really wacky, but listen, we really appreciate you taking the time to help us decipher all of this. So Ryan, thank you for joining us. Yes, all that wackiness. <laughs> yeah, uh, whew, it is a lot to take in. Well, here's a tweet from Caitlin Collins, new from the White House. Yesterday, Turkey, a NATO member, invaded Syria. The United States does not endorse this attack and has made it clear to Turkey that this operation is a bad idea. There are no American soldiers in the area. Here's a tweet from the Kurdish president of Iraq. Turkey's military incursion into Syria is a grave escalation, will cause untold humanitarian suffering, empower terrorist groups. The world must unite to avert a catastrophe, promote political resolution to the rights of all Syrians, including Kurds, to peace, dignity, and security. Joining us now to break it all down is world news editor and senior reporter Hayes Brown. Good morning. Good morning, guys. Okay, so what have the last 24 hours been like for Syrians on the ground? So not great is the answer there. So in the last 24 hours, we've seen Turkey launch airstrikes and start a ground incursion across their border into Syria. So their target right now are, as I said the other day, they're members of the Syrian Defense Forces who were the U.S.'s main ally in fighting ISIS in Syria. Now again, the members of the Syrian Defense Forces mostly are made up of the, a group called the YPG, who are Kurdish in nature, who have a relationship with a terror group over in Turkey. Turkey has a long time said that these guys are going to attack Turkey. We have to go on the offensive against them, and they finally launched their attack. So as this has started to happen, uh, according to U.S. soldiers who are still on the ground who have managed to talk to a few journalists, uh, relatively low-ranking uh, special operations forces, it seems like, but they've communicated that the Syrian members of the uh, Syrian Defense Forces are holding their ground and not you know, fleeing in the face of this. They're still working to do what the U.S. has asked of them, which is keep an eye on the thousands of captured ISIS uh, members who, uh, if they'd left their posts, could possibly escape and help ISIS, you know, reformulate and grow back to its former strength. Mm. Well, Trump has said, you know, since this uh, has broken out, that he does not endorse the operation and thinks it's a really bad idea. But Hayes, does he understand that he's intrinsically involved in what's happening yet? He doesn't seem to be, and in fact, uh, he spent a lot of time online and when speaking to the press yesterday trying to distance himself from his own decision to move troops out of the way. He's framing it more as, you know, I'm keeping Americans safe by getting them out of the way of Turkey, but one of the first places that Turkey attacked was a place where U.S. forces were stationed up until Trump's order to move. So if Turkey had tried to cross the border, they would have run straight into U.S. Special Operations Forces, which nobody wanted. So they were acting sort of as a buffer between uh, the Kurds and the Turkish uh, armed forces. So for them to move out of the way just makes it so that Trump is spinning his wheels. Yesterday, he managed to quote a absolutely bonkers article that said, yeah, it's fine if we abandon the Kurds, because guess what? The Kurds weren't with us at Normandy, actual quote from President Trump. So, and he managed to say that alliances are easy, which caused a thousand diplomats to scream wordlessly into the void. It's, Trump just does not seem to understand, or if he does understand the implications of what his decision has done, he's trying to downplay them a lot. 
Mm. Well, uh, one place where it seems like there is consensus mm-hmm. is that both Republicans and Democrats uh, have not been happy uh, with all of this. So how uh, are they reacting now? Uh, again, badly. So uh, Senator Lindsey Graham, who has to this point ever since his, you know, road to Damascus moment, apparently, with President Trump, has backed the president on a lot of things. But on this he split. Uh, he, he's mar- marshalling uh, Congress to pass new economic sanctions against Turkey for as long as they are uh, across the border in Syria. Um, and it looks like he's trying to get up a veto-proof majority inside of Congress, which, considering the other things that need a two-thirds majority in Congress right now, if he can swing that to d- uh, provide displeasure towards the president, that would be a uh, big sign that things are not going great politically for President Trump. Uh, also, I fe- I've seen online, like Essie Cup, who used to have a uh, show speaking as a conservative commentator, She's, she reported on Twitter that she's spoken to several Republicans, voters, uh, state party leaders, to congressmen and a senator who all said that while the Ukraine situation was bad, they find that the Syria decision is even worse. So at, an, at the exact moment, Trump needs people politically to be backing him. He started a policy fight where people, on his side in the Republican Party feel free to critique him because it's a difference in policy. It's not politics. It's something that they want to see done and that they feel, it seems, completely willing to criticize the president on. Well, hey, thank you so much for walking us through a dumpster fire, I will say. Absolutely. All right. Well, up next, Alex is reading Fire Treats with actor Sarah Baker. Welcome back. It's time for Fire Tweets, and today I'm joined by Sarah Baker, who stars on The Kaminsky Method and The Death of Dick Long. Sarah is going to help me get through some Fire Tweets. Yay! Welcome. Thank you for having me. Okay, so I'll go first to show you, and okay. then, then you can take it away. Okay. okay. Jade, you tweeted, I don't know why men go to bars to meet women. Just go to Target. The female-to-male ratio is 10 to 1, and they're already looking for things they don't need. Do you ever go to Target so to buy true. things you don't need? I mean, I go intending to buy one specific thing and then just ultimately buy a million things. I yeah. Need. For me, it sucks. How about you? You know, I feel like uh, I buy random toiletries that I yeah. don't need. And oh, yeah. I, I go in, I'm going to spend like $15 and then I walk out like with, I've spent $100. And, like, and I'm I like, I don't even know what this is. 87 nail polishes. Yes, Why? Exactly. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Okay. You can do the next week. Okay. Feels so powerful. <laughs> King Hussein, you tweeted, Girls can't find their hair ties, but they can remember what you said six months ago. That is because we are amazing. Yeah. Great memories. Yeah. Us women are amazing. Yeah. Um, You know, ladies be ladies. (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, hair ties. (laughs) (laughs) Sophie, you tweeted, does laundry and makes bed. Oh, sorry. What was that? I couldn't hear you over the sound of me getting my life together. Do you ever just have moments like that? That's me. If I like, em- especially if like it's a like a blank day, we don't have much going on. If I like empty the dishwasher, I'm like, I'm a pretty good person. Yeah, you're like, I, I, I'm, I I'm taking up space in the in yeah. the world in a good way. <laughs> okay, this is the tweet of the day, so we're both gonna push the button together, but okay. you'll read it. Okay. Okay, the tweet of the day comes from me. Uh, there are people like Serena Williams and Bianca Andreescu with the physical, mental, and emotional strength of warriors, and then there is me. A person who has had nightmares two nights in a row about It too, a movie I haven't <laughs> even seen. I mean, clowns are scary. <sighs> but like, you have to be a special kind of 
dodo, dummy, baby, to have literal nightmares about a movie you've never seen. Is this something that happens to you often? It happened to me, I feel like, uh, every once in a while. If, if a movie looks really compelling and I don't really know what happens, then I'm like, really invested, but also never going to see it. And then my mind just goes crazy. But I did. I had crazy clown dreams. (laughs) I don't blame you. I don't blame you at all. Um, Thank you. But while I could continue to easily talk about uh, my fear of clowns for a long time, (laughs) I do want to talk about some of your work. Oh. Um, Of course, you play Mindy on the Kaminsky Method. You're the daughter of an acting coach. And I saw that actually you founded uh, an improv group beforehand and you were in the Groundlings. So does any of that work translate to the show? I mean, I've definitely been in those acting classes. Um, you know, my Mindy is not super, she's more of like the business manager of the whole process. So I'm not super involved. Mindy isn't like part of the acting thing. But yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. And one thing I like about the show is they don't make fun of actors. It's not like, you know, some shows it's like all the actors are like, really bad and you're like oh these poor people are never gonna make it but on our show it's like they're actually good they're just new and learning still you know yeah well your co-stars are uh, michael douglas and alan arkin um yeah, no slouches. yeah seriously <laughs> how is it working with them uh behind the scenes it's amazing michael douglas is like i mean his dad is 102 and is still going and michael is gonna be that way also he's like so much energy alan is the best he's a total lovable grump, but he loves everybody. He got his star in the Walk of Fame recently, and he invited everybody. The whole crew, catering, craft services, Delightful. everybody. So sweet. Yeah, Delightful. he's a delight. Well, you also have a movie out, um, The Death of Dick Long. How would you describe the film? It's just such a super weird movie. It basically <laughs> has, like, a gigantic plot twist, which you will either hate us for, or you'll okay. be like, oh, my God, I'm pulled into this movie. It's a very weird movie. It's two, somebody dies, obviously, it's right there in the title, and then you're kind of figuring out in the movie, it's these two guys in Alabama, like, what happened? Something obviously went very wrong, but you don't find until, find out until like three quarters of the way in what happened. Mm. Well, one of your first acting jobs was on Sweet Home Alabama, starring yeah. Reese Witherspoon. You will not see me in that movie, friends. <laughs> you, you were <laughs> But I was there. You were there. And then years later, uh, you were able to work with her again on Big Little Lies. Yeah. What was that reunion like? It was great. And we actually worked together on this other movie, The Good Lie, too. Oh, wow. So yeah, uh, she's the best. You know, she's super talented, total boss. Um, but yeah, I mean, on Sweet Home Alabama, I was like a baby. I had no idea what was going on. And then my part ultimately got cut. So it was like kind of the perfect learning experience, really. Well, you now have a, another project called Super Intelligence um, with Melissa McCarthy. Um, what can we expect from your character, Emily? She's like a tech wizard. So mm. just exactly like me, just super perfect at computers. <laughs> um, no, she's like a tech wizard and it's like this um, sort of AI becomes sentient and is trying to take over the world. So she's, and she's sort of the target as like the perfect average human being for him to figure out what, what, what makes humans tick. And then, so I'm in there trying to stop this AI from taking over the world. As you do. As you do. As you do. Yeah. Well, listen, it has been really fun talking to you. Thank you, you so too. much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Season two of The Kaminsky Method premieres on Netflix October 25th, and The Death of Dick Long is out now. More AM to DM is up next. Welcome back. Tonight, President Trump is holding a rally in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and the mayor of the city said the the Trump campaign would be responsible for paying the cost of the event, which prompted the president to, of course, tweet about it. 
The mayor responded, I'm doing things like filling potholes and making sure that our city has enough affordable housing, and I don't have time to be tweeting garbage out. So it's kind of surprising when the president has the time to do this himself. Joining us now to discuss is the Minneapolis mayor himself, Jacob Frey. Good morning. Morning, Alex and Zach. How are you doing? We're doing great. Thank you for joining us. Uh, So, Mayor, first up, how did you arrive at the cost of the rally and that the Trump campaign should pay it back? Well, the cost of the rally in terms of operation expenses is about 530000 That's 400000 worth of additional police costs and specifically overtime. And then additional 130000 for regulatory services and public works for things like Jersey barriers, infrastructure costs, and street closures. You know, these, this is not like at all out of the ordinary. I mean, we had the Super Bowl here. That was $6 million. We had the final four here, $1.5 million. And so 530000 especially when you've got these very difficult dynamics that the Trump campaign brings, is, is not a crazy figure. Okay, so Trump called you a, a radical left mayor on Twitter. What message do you have for him tonight about the rally? Uh, well, first off, uh, we do not welcome the divisive rhetoric that the, that Donald Trump consistently puts out at, at his rap. Minneapolis, we, we value our diversity. We view it as a form of strength. Uh, and standing 100% behind every one of our Minneapolis residents today. Mm. Well, speaking of diversity, you know, Donald Trump has continuously attacked Representative Ilhan Omar, whose district is where this will be taking place tonight. What do you make of this decision to take this rally to her backyard? You know, I, I can't predict exactly what the president's political motives are. And can't, in fact, I can't predict literally anything that that guy does on, on a daily basis. Uh, but what I can say is we love our immigrant community here in Minneapolis. Uh, uh, I have a, a love for our Somali population. They were one of the very first communities to embrace me uh, and befriend me when I came to this city from the East Coast. Uh, and so there's a very special place in my heart uh, for them. Now, Trump famously held a, a campaign rally in Chicago, uh, a blue bastion, of yeah. course. And uh, that was canceled uh, because of an outbreak of violence. Um, have you thought about it that at all for Minneapolis? Sure. Safety is a, is a number one priority right here. You know, uh, my job is to make sure that whether you are attending in support uh, or protesting in opposition, uh, you are safe. And I've been working uh, constantly with our chief, Arredondo. Uh, he has my full support. Um, and he's been in turn working with other jurisdictions, our Minneapolis Police Department, uh, as well as the Secret Service. And so, yeah, the, the job today, and my foremost concern is public safety. Mm. So, Mayor, your uh, city attorney, Susan Siegel, uh, says that you all have never charged for events before that were like this. What brought you, uh, brought this to your attention to decide to charge Trump beyond uh, for the first time? Well, first, we have charged before for events like this. Um, you know, we have been reimbursed in part or in full for numerous events in the past. Uh, you know, we've, we have a tradition now of hosting very large scale events in Minneapolis from the, uh, from the Super Bowl to the Final Four. Uh, and you know, this, this Trump rally is yes, another fairly large event, but, uh, I'll note that it does pose particular safety concerns. Uh, what we see consistently from Donald Trump is that on these campaign rallies, he heads to these cities and towns. He whips his supporters into a frenzy. Uh, he has all sorts of hate filled rhetoric that he dishes out. Uh, and 
when you combine that uh, with the dynamics that you have out, outside, you know, it, it's, it gets tough. Um, now, uh, we're up for it. We're prepared for it. Uh, but I have to be very straightforward and say, like, you know, these are not ordinary circumstances right here. You know, under, under ordinary circumstances, I'd be honored to welcome a sitting president of the United States to Minneapolis. Uh, I would be honored to head to the airport, uh, and whether it's H.W. Bush or Clinton or Obama uh, or Reagan, I'd head to the airport and shake their hand. These are not ordinary circumstances right now, and we have to stop pretending like they are. Well, I have uh, just one more very important question yes, before you go. Um, with your newfound Twitter fame, are you aware of the thirsty tweets about you, and what do you think of them? Well, first, I, I didn't term thirsty meant exactly uh, until recently. People are very. Uh, I, I try. And so, no, I, I mean, I, I, you know, I appreciate the love. I use it as armor because God knows that, uh, especially when you're mayor uh, and you are involved in these very controversial issues, it doesn't last forever. So I uh, appreciate the love. Um, I'm, I'm wearing it as, as armor for the next difficult endeavor that we're going to face. And, you know, I'm, I'm not in this job to be somebody. I'm, I'm in it to do something. And right now with Cities as the Laboratory of Democracy, I think we can do a hell of a lot. Well, Mayor Frey, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Did he just say he's going to use thirst as armor? I, I mean, I think that there was a little bit more nuance to it than that, but... But my tweet but is, the mayor of Minneapolis, <laughs> uses thirst as armor. There we go, gay Twitter, that's for you as well. Well, up next, I will be sitting down with Lacey Chabert, a.k.a. Gretchen Wieners from Mean Girls, speaking of gay Twitter. <laughs> The Hallmark Movies and Mystery Network is back with a new mystery movie starring our favorite mean girl, actor Lacey Chabert. <laughs> Lacey joins me now to talk about Crossword Mysteries, Proposing Murder. Hello. Hi, nice to see you. Nice to see you as well. It's so great Thank to meet you. you in real life because I feel as if I have acted you out so much. Have as, you really? Yes, as mean okay, girls. Go. Yes, do, Gretchen do, was my do girl. Your best. Do yes, your best, Gretchen. I'm not doing it right now. <laughs> girl, we're not doing that. <laughs> I tried. You are an actor. I am not an actor. But thank you for being here today. No, thank you. So in your newest film, Crossword Mysteries, you play a newspaper editor, which I relate to, whose weekly clues are linked to murders. What drew you to this role? Well, this is the second movie we've done with Crossword, and there's a third one that she'll be airing the following weekend. Uh, I play Tess Harper. She's the crossword editor of the Sentinel Paper. Mm -hmm. Will Schwartz, the crossword editor of the New York Times, actually is an executive producer on it. So I'm playing a character kind of inspired by him. And it's I'm partnered with Brennan Elliott, who we've done seven movies together mm -hmm. now. And we usually do movies on the Hallmark Channel, which is, you know, a little more lighthearted and yes. romantic. And so this was a departure for us from that. And I love the mystery. Mm -hmm. I love a good mystery. I grew up watching mysteries. And I also love that they have you know, great banter between each other because they're very different people. Mm -hmm. And it's really the cases that bring them together. And he kind of reluctantly lets me be involved because I offer a great mm -hmm. perspective. Mm -hmm. Yes, and you are an executive producer on, yeah, on the film. Yeah. Um, what is it like to be behind the camera instead of in front of it with this project? Um, it's great. I mean, it's, it's, I feel like we definitely have more of a voice on set and it's very interesting to be involved um, in the development of the scripts. And, you know, you, you just have that you care that much more, yeah. you know? And, and, and I, I'm so thankful for the relationship I have with Hallmark. They've been wonderful to me. We've done 19 movies together now. 
Yeah, you've. I mean, I was going to bring up that next. (laughs) You have done so many Hallmark movies, and you have an eighth Christmas movie coming out this year, Christmas in Rome. Christmas in Rome. Tell me about that, because you know I have never done Christmas in Rome because it's. Well, you should. Really? I mean, Christmas in Italy is so magical. Mm -hmm. I know that's an overused word, but it really is. Um, I had been filming in Belgium, actually, right before the holidays, and my sister was living in Italy because of her husband's Mm -hmm. job, so we just decided to go there for Christmas, which was unusual because I'm always with my parents for Christmas. Mm -hmm. Um, So we broke the uh, the pattern this year, and there is just something really special about it. So my character in the movie um, is trying to... Uh, you know, Sam Page plays my my, my co-star in it, and she's trying to have him, you know, experience mm-hmm. Rome from a different point of view and mm-hmm. to kind of slow down and take in the magic and just enjoy being alive there. And it was awesome to film in Rome. Mm-hmm. So are you going to start spending every holiday in Rome? <laughs> no, my, my mom. <laughs> I can already hear my mom in my head going, what are you talking about? You must come home for Christmas. <laughs> she's like, girl, do not stick in Italy. I'm from this, yeah, I'm from the <laughs> South. We do a big, like, you know, Southern... Yes. A also southern. fellow southerner, so I get that. Oh, My mom, from? Nashville. Oh, nice. Yeah. I love Nashville. Yeah, it's great. It's, it's wonderful. You know, the South is better than yeah. people realize, I swear. I love the South. Beyond Good all the- people, you know, I mean, every, everywhere is different everywhere you go, but my experience in being in my, I'm proud of my Southern roots. Mm-hmm. Good people who... You know, love yeah. on people. And you have good Southern energy, so I can tell. Thank like you. Like, you have a good, warm, like, we could talk and have coffee, and you won't think I'm crazy. Yes. <laughs> Within two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, okay, speaking of crazy, not speaking of crazy, but, you know, I have to ask you about SantaCon. It's coming up. And that is, like, seems like an insane thing to take Christmas part in. ChristmasCon, thank yes. you. Sorry. Santa and Christmas all combined it's, in my it's head. It's all the same. Yes. <laughs> what are you thinking about this year's ChristmasCon? What's most exciting I mean, about I've it? honestly haven't, I haven't done a con. I, I think I've... I think I was probably a kid the last time I did something like this, and they Mm -hmm. approached me to do it, and I'm proud of my Christmas movies. And uh, I get asked on social media all the time, when Mm -hmm. are you going to appear somewhere where you you could sign and take pictures? And so it seemed like a great opportunity, and I'm now being joined by a lot of my friends, Mm -hmm. and so I'm excited to be a part of it. It's like, it must be very special to feel like Christmas all year round. Like, you have to be in that magic constantly. Well, I love Christmas. Really? Like, if you know me personally, like, I'm I'm Christmas obsessed. I wish it was always Christmas. So it makes sense that I do Mm -hmm. Christmas movies and enjoy them so much because I love Christmas. Oh, my gosh. It can't come soon enough. We need to have you on later in the year to give Christmas advice of, like, when to put up decorations. I'll be your Christmas consultant. Really? Yes. Can you guys sign me up? Great. You hear that, Emily? (laughs) We have a Christmas consultant. (laughs) But the sad thing is, okay, Okay, because I can already hear my friend at home calling me. <laughs> like, I, I used to go all out. I mean, my really? house is decorated to the nines, but now I've been so busy making the mm-hmm. Christmas movies that it's just fallen to the wayside. Uh, so this year, I am determined to get back on my Christmas spirit girl, you can and just decorate steal my from house the set. really well. Just no. take things. Well, that's the thing. We do all these promo shoots and things for the movies, uh-huh. and, the, and the sets are always so immaculately decorated. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, can you guys come do this to my house, or can you send that wreath to my house? And they... You they deserve. Me, they don't give me the decorations. Uh, I'm going to call Hallmark. <laughs> this is so messed up. You deserve everything for that. <laughs> and you deserve everything because, you know, you are part of an iconic film. I mean, you have done wonderful things oh. since then, but, you know, that film has stayed in to, inside culture in a way that no one else has seen before. And just last week, uh, we saw it celebrated again. So why do you think people love Mean Girls so much? I think it's relatable. Mm-hmm. I think whether you're in high school or you have memories of it or you're going in high school, I think it's just the, the theme of of the movie is relatable at any age. And I mean, I think they did that really well with the Broadway musical. I Mm -hmm. saw it earlier this year. And even though they updated it and made it its own thing, it's the reason it works so well is because it is a really good message at the end of the movie and about building each other up and being there for each other and not feeling like we're all in competition together. And 
I'm proud to be a part of the movie. God, that was such a good answer. And I see why you're so good at Christmas, because that was so much more. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. So what did you do for October 3rd last week to celebrate? Uh, I mean, Girls Day. Yes, I uh, was taking care of my daughter, okay. who's the boss. All right. <laughs> the most demanding boss I've ever had. <laughs> the love of my life. Um, but we all did a video together that I was really proud of. Jonathan Bennett spearheaded us. I'm hmm. um, trying to raise money for the Thirst Project. Amazing. And so there will be a well now. I think we're pretty close to the goal if it's not already reached by now. And it'll be a well that'll give fresh, clean drinking water to 500 people for life. That's amazing. So thrilled to be a part of it and learn more about the Thirst Project. And I'm so impressed with what they do. I love that. So, you know, it's nice that we get attention on those days Mm -hmm. that we're trying to do some good with that. Yeah, that's good. You're using the platform for good, which is all we want from folks. I try to do that with my Hallmark movies. Mm -hmm. You know, I get stops all the time over the movies and the common comment is people go, thanks for just making me smile and bringing a little joy to my house. And I'm just so thankful for the relationship with Hallmark because Mm -hmm. I do consider it a real honor to be a part of that. For sure. I mean, those movies are huge for a lot of people in America. So I I know that they love seeing you every year. Well, now many times a year. So, (laughs) well, before we go, I have to bring up another iconic role of yours from Party of Five, Claudia Salinger. (laughs) We have a gift for you from a a co-star, Scott Wolf, I think. Roll the tape. I wanted to say hi. Can you believe it's been 25 years since we started Party of Five? <laughs> I'm like 112, but I still look 12. Um, <laughs> I miss you terribly. Uh, I've been watching you on TV, and we have to have actual in-person visits before long. Uh, see you soon. Oh, there you go. God. He was I, here the other day. Oh, you got me all like teary-eyed. Oh. <laughs> you know what? He's such a good human. He's mm-hmm. such a good human. And I look back at my life, and I go, I spent six years with this group of people. And you can't help but be shaped partly by your surroundings. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I'm so thankful that there were good people in my life at that point. Yeah. So I love you, Scott. Thank you for that message. Uh, and we're going to send that right back to him. Well, <laughs> thank you so much for being here. Of it's course. been lovely chatting. And I just, you know, just got me feeling all good today with all this good Christmas energy. You know, and I'm not a Christmas gal, so thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Well, Crossword Mysteries Proposing Murder premieres on Sunday, October 13th on the Hallmark Movies and Mysteries Network. Stay tuned for more AM to DM. Here's a tweet from Anne. Crossfire by Stacey Ann Chin. So nice to have a collection of her work, and there are at least two poems here so cutting in their truths that they are going to haunt me for a long, a good long while. Joining me now is poet, performer, and author of Crossfire, Stacey Ann Chin. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here. And I found it so interesting that this is actually your first published book collection right. of poems. So what was it like reflecting on your career in putting this together? Painful. I mean, you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's very interesting in that, like, uh, for, for, I've been a known poet for 20 yeah. years, and I haven't allowed the poems to be published. I'll tell you a story. Um, maybe uh, 10, more than 15 years ago, I met Derek Walcott. Derek Walcott is a, you know, fancy schmancy mm-hmm. poet from the Caribbean, poet laureate, you know, whatever. Uh, and he invited me down to study with him for six months and uh, I was so happy and so like wiggling in my little poet panties <laughs> and he um he said uh, come study I get, went down and I learned a lot from him but one of the things he said to me was if you would stop writing all this poetry about your vagina and all of this feminist mm. stuff then you'll you'd be really 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 good mm. at writing mm-hmm. and um I kind of held that for a long mm. time and didn't allow my poems to be published because in my head there was like, okay, there's these poems that I write about being a woman or being, you know, a survivor or being, you know, kind of sexual in my own agency. Uh, They weren't 
you know, high art. Mm. And so I kept them for the stage. So one of the things that happened uh, in the actual putting the poems together is trying to figure out how do I take these poems that have existed for two decades, some of them, mm. on stage and put them on a page and how do we translate them to a, an audience. And then when I read the galley all the way through, I was kind of happy. I mean, like I lived a pretty big, fulsome, crazy, wonderful, falling in love many, 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 many times <laughs> kind of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it was interesting. You also posted that um, putting this book out made you uh, nervous. Yes, I know. I've, I've written a memoir. Yeah, I've it- done plays. I've been uh, on TV and nothing has made me more nervous. There's something about a poem that sits in the very bottom of your belly, right? It sits there. It's like, okay, I'm not really talking about my hairstyle here. I'm talking about something far more, I don't know, crazy and inside of me. And poems are, they're not superficial. And so you're putting so much of your underbelly mm-hmm. out for everyone to view. Mm-hmm. And uh, then you're worried that people will hate them and that you'll go home and lick your own tiles. <laughs> <laughs> well, people have been posting that they love this book. Um, I saw photos from uh, Michael Ealy, Boots Riley, Danny Glover, um, all posted photos with the book. Um, how has it felt to see people celebrate it? Very, like, affirming. Very wonderful. Um, but these are all people who share my politics to begin with, a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, I'm, 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 I'm less nervous, but more hopeful that the book will find a place in the world, find a, a life. I mean, I, I like the book. I like the photograph. It's a pretty yeah, fabulous looking yeah, book, lots yeah. of color. Yeah. Um, I don't know, but it's 20 years of work. The foreword is by Jackie Woodson. Yeah. You know, the, the acknowledgement list is very, very long because I've lived the kind of life <laughs> that has been supported by many people. Well, you mentioned that uh, 20 years again, um, one of the things you've written extensively about is um, your relationship with your upbringing in Jamaica and the anti-gay violence that you experienced there. Um, how has your writing uh, and the way that you've thought about those things evolved over the years? Because the truth of it has evolved astronomically. Mm. When I was uh, a young Come, you know, a young lesbian just coming to, oh my God, I might be gay, I might be a gay. Um, in 1992, 93, um, it was like very, very, very dangerous. And I didn't see anyone, maybe one person on campus, I was like, I think he's gay. But generally speaking, it was just me. And so when I came out and then I was attacked by a dozen boys mm-hmm. and sexually assaulted on campus and had to flee Jamaica, to, for the U.S. That was a very different world. Now I go home, we've got like trans kids mm-hmm. wearing Prada, rolling about in the <laughs> supermarket and like, he, you know, all these various pronouns or no pronouns at all. And they're taking up space and being young and fabulous. They're, you know, yeah. I, I tip my hat to them. They're amazing. Yeah. Well, let's talk more uh, about the youth and um, especially about your own daughter, Zuri. I'm a big fan of these living room protest videos. Oh, my goodness. Her, yes. are, they are. Did you see so, the latest one where she just said that um, she doesn't she, she's not hurt by people not wanting to yes, play I with her? I did see that one. I, I was, watched like, that one Did you yesterday. see me go like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. They're, they're, they're so endearing. Um, what is the biggest thing? Like you, I, I should tell people who haven't seen them, like you run the gamut of the kinds of themes that you talk about. You talk about social justice, activism, politics. Dude, Giraffes have boobs, like how to make a new friend, what you do when your grown-up leaves, like, you know, are things to be gendered? Like, is there a boy thing and a girl thing? Like, I don't want to leave Brooklyn, but I want to be an immigrant. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. What's the biggest thing that you've learned from her from having these conversations with her? 
Um, I think that my whole life I've had to be so fierce, so strong. I've had to be kind of a sledgehammer in order to survive. I think my kid is teaching me how to be fierce and strong at the same time, how to be, how to hold my own boundaries and at the same time mm. be um, kind and be sweet to people. Like she has this, I don't know, unending capacity for love that I'm mm. not quite sure I possess that I have to work so hard at mm. and she has the capacity to be both clear about her boundaries and be kind at the same time and and open mm. um and and it makes me feel like oh my goodness that's possible and you know it hits me right in the gut because I think oh that's what we look like before we're broken mm. that before the world starts hammering at you you're like kind of open and happy and you know, belly up and ready for the world and kind and sweet and wonderful, you know. And my job as her parent is to not break it. Mm. Like as much as I can, don't break it. Mm. Allow it to be mm -hmm. what it is. And then to like let her lead me too, you know. We don't do a living room protest until she wants to. I can't really make her do the things that you see her do <laughs> online. Yes, yeah. Well, listen, unfortunately, we are out of time. I could easily no talk to you for much longer, but thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me, and thanks for helping with Crossfire. And Crossfire is available now. Up next, Zach is talking to Ebony K. Williams from State of the Culture. Greatly appreciating the addition of Ebony K. Williams to State of the Culture, a great addition to round out perspective as hip hop culture and those that are part of it continue to mature, balance as all things should be. That was a quote from Twitter. And joining me now is author, lawyer, and the newest co-host of State of the Culture, Ebony K. Williams. Hello. What's up, Zach? How are you doing? I'm good. I'm it's good. so good to see you today. It's well, thank you for stopping you. by. Uh, so you're a recent addition to the panel. Yes. Um, and you're on there with Joe Budden, uh, which is very exciting. And the show, you know, has been called Polarizing for Many People. Sure. Um, and I'd love to hear from you. What were you expecting when you joined and what did you, what made you want to join the show? You know, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. Uh, the reaction has been, um, you know, really positive, though, overall. I think people were surprised, right? Very shocked um, mm -hmm. coming from my news background and the other things yeah. I've done in media um, that I would choose to, to join Revolt TV and State of the Culture in particular yeah. uh, with Joe, Remy, and Jinx. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was really intentional, Zach. I really felt like I had spent my career um, disrupting spaces that were not necessarily designed for me, right? Mm -hmm. And I really enjoy that. I enjoy bringing perspective and nuance and kind of a different energy. Mm -hmm. And so really, this is an extension of that. Yeah. So, you know, that you know, they've never had anybody like me on State of the mm -hmm. Culture, um, but as I'm so honored and privileged by the quote you read, mm -hmm. that's kind of been the general response. I think yeah. people are seeing it in a different way. I bring a totally different energy. I bring mm -hmm. a very different life experience. <laughs> um, but I'm also part of the culture, sure. right? Like, that's what was important for me. Mm -hmm. I, I am so proud of the diversity and richness of black culture. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the things that makes it so valuable yeah. um, is it's the full spectrum. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to say, I'm not like parachuting in just to give some legal ego view, right? Mm -hmm. I'm actually part of the culture too. No. And I think that's what the audience is resonating with. Yeah, and you know, you bring up your lawyer background, which mm -hmm. I think is really special for the show because you bring an expertise that was not there before. And I'd love to hear from you, what cases, uh, you know, have you seen that are really impacting the culture right now? Ooh, yeah. Um, well, last week's show and this week's mm -hmm. show, we've already, you know, I talked about our rundown, you know, the horrific murder, we mm -hmm. now can legally say, um, of Botham Jean. Yeah. And also, you know, the conviction of Amber Geiger, 
then the untimely and really just, frankly, for most people, including myself, suspicious Mm -hmm. um, killing of one of the key witnesses in the case, Joshua Brown, Mm -hmm. what's going on with the whole Dallas law enforcement community. So that case has been huge, Takashi 69. I was going to ask about that. (laughs) Of course, uh, making huge headlines. I think it was the second episode Mm -hmm. um, of my tenure at State of the Culture. Uh, Remy Ma and I had very different opinions. Yes, very, very different About Takashi's cooperation Mm -hmm. with the state, also known as snitching. Um, So it seems like every week, Actually, Antonio Brown mm-hmm. um, and what was going on with him and whether it was the sex assault stuff and then eventually him being cut uh, mm-hmm. by the NFL and the New England Patriots. So it's like every week, Stacey yeah. Dash last week yeah. uh, with the domestic violence and did like a very suspicious listing of herself as a white woman. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's, it's, you can't make it up. Yeah. You know, every single week, it's some and intersection it's, of culture and law. Exactly, and it's important because you know the yeah. federal informant conversation is something that a lot of communities are constantly having. Absolutely. That's where this term, you know, stitches get stitches kind of comes yep. from. Yep. Um, and Rim Ma, you know, had some controversial things to say about that. And do you ever worry about having those conversations that like wrong kind of products come out of them? You mm. know, because this, I think you all have a lot of power in what people think of the world right now. Oh, Zach, 100%. Um, when you sit on a platform, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, this platform you have here, mm-hmm. the platform I have, is there, the culture, any of them, they're hugely influential, right? Young people, all people are watching and constructing viewpoints mm-hmm. largely based on what we're saying on these platforms. So I actually think it's important that Remy uh, mm-hmm. holds her viewpoint and explain expresses her truth and yeah. her experience because um, it's a very different one. Yeah. Uh, it's a very unique one. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? I think she occupies a unique space as somebody who's been on the other side of the criminal mm-hmm. justice system and she's unafraid to talk about that. But at the same time, what I think the beauty of the show now mm-hmm. is that it's balanced, mm-hmm. right, with somebody who's been on the other side, yeah. you know, me, of course, from that criminal defense lawyer capacity. For sure. So she's bringing passion based mm-hmm. off of what she's seen and experience, mm-hmm. right, on that other side of the justice system. And guess what? Me too. Me too, yeah. sis. I'm yeah. also passionate because I've been the one at the table mm-hmm. standing beside mostly, you know, men and women that look like us um, who've got a different experience. For sure. So I think it's I think the duality, Zach, yeah. is really important. And I think it's good for young people to see that, especially as mm-hmm. two strong-minded, opinionated, mm-hmm. powerful women, mm-hmm. um, we can sit there and coexist yeah. and make space for each other. For sure. You know, Remy Ma, you know, constantly makes headlines for things that she says on the show because uh, she does have a lot of great, uh, not great, but very strong opinions. Great is subjective. I'm not entering that conversation. But, you know, Something that has come up a lot is homophobia and sexism on the show in the past. And sometimes people struggle with how do we talk about these beliefs um, in a way that also talks about where this person's coming from, but also understands that it's not okay. How are you all dealing with that now? Yeah, so the very first episode that I did um, on the show, we talked about Malik Yoba, Mm -hmm. right? And him talking about his trans attraction and things of that nature. And, you know, it was a learning experience for me because I didn't really know how my co-host and I were going to, you know, obviously having different viewpoints. Um, I I made the statement, and I stand by it, that I think a lot of self-identified heterosexual men uh, find themselves attracted to trans women. Yeah. That, that's what I believe. That's yeah. what I've seen out my yeah. window. I okay, also living uptown. Yes. Yep. Okay? Mm-hmm. So that's what I, you know, Remy pushed back on that hard. She's yeah. like, that's BS. I don't believe that. They did, if, if, And then what I realized, though, is that because oftentimes we're saying the same thing in a different way. Mm-hmm. So even Remy, can, if you watch the episode, concedes the point that a straight man might find himself attracted to a trans woman unknowingly, mm-hmm. right? And I just don't make a distinction. To me, I don't care if you know or you don't know, you're attracted. 
Yeah. So, so I think the nuance to answer mm-hmm. your question: mm-hmm. How do we deal with it with such you know high stakes? Yeah. Because the stakes are super high. We've got I think what nineteen trans women of color yeah. killed so far this year. Yes. It's only October. And My there was God. Twentieth last night. Tw- so yeah, that's heartbreaking news today. Um, yeah. So the stakes couldn't be higher. Yeah. So how we talk about it, being responsible yes. in our dialogue, is of the utmost important. Mm-hmm. And I think. Getting that out, being unafraid to put our viewpoints out there, and hold each other accountable. Yes, you know, for sure. the, the teaching goes both ways. Bro, accountability is so important. Yes, today. listen, listen. Well, thank you so much for being here. It's been thank a pleasure you. having thank you. you it really has been. Thank well, new episodes of State of the Culture come out every Monday on Revolt TV's digital platforms. Up next, Alex and I are reading more of your tweets. Stay tuned. Welcome back. Um, can we talk about some of the guests that we had on the show For today? For sure. Okay. Especially if you're going to bring up that mayor. <laughs> <laughs> but let's start with the mayor. Let's please. Unexpected. Please. I, I mean, I, I know we're journalists and everything, <laughs> but uh, I mean, it's objective. Yeah. Not a yeah. It's objective that he is fine. Sorry, facts. There's signs behind that. Yeah. Proof, tweets, everything. We have evidence to support. People also, are in agreement. Yes, for sure. And you know, and it's interesting that we are seeing the rise of thirst traps fighting with Trump. You know, Justin Trudeau, Macron, all these fine men around the world leading cities and uh, in countries and taking on Trump. Look at that. Well, don't they say that like people want a leader who is like charismatic and yes. you know, like all of those things, you know, and that you have inappropriate thoughts about for sure. <laughs> <laughs> that helps with leadership. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, well, I also have to say it was so amazing to talk to Stacey Ann Chin. Uh, the icon. Um, I don't I don't know if you have you ever seen her perform? Yes, I have. She's like, so queer incredible. conferences and everything. She is yeah. legendary. And if you have not seen her work, go to YouTube right now and watch it because it is like the bedrock to so many of the queer poets that we know today um, is her work. And she continues to great, great work. So yeah. she's still here. Yeah, she's amazing. And also, just like you can tell that she's such an excellent performer. Mm-hmm. Just the moment she walked out here, I was just like, like yeah. You're a badass. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Well, it was a great day. And thank you to all those guests that made it a great day. Ryan Broderick, Hayes Brown, Mayor Jacob Frey, Stacey and Chen, Ebony K. Williams, Sarah Baker, and Lacey Chabert. We'll be back here tomorrow at 10 a.m. Have a great rest of your day. Good morning.